Welcome to the MedTech Talent Lab, the number one catalyst for advancing careers and building high-performance teams. Sponsored by the Anthony Michael Group, helping companies secure in-demand talent in regulatory affairs, quality, clinical, engineering, R&D, and other areas for medical device, digital health, diagnostics, and other organizations across the U.S. life sciences sector. Here's your host, Mitch Robbins. All right, welcome back to another episode here on the MedTech Talent Lab podcast. I'm your host, Mitch Robbins, and I am the founder and managing director of the search firm called the Anthony Michael Group, where we help organizations across uh, MedTech to build high-performing teams, primarily in areas like regulatory affairs, quality, clinical, and uh, some of the other technical functions. I have the honor and privilege of not only hosting a live show uh, each week, but having the opportunity to feature best-in-class leaders and professionals straight from the industry on all things talent-related. Uh, and today, I have the exciting opportunity to host Ms. Catherine Bush. Uh, Catherine is the talent acquisition manager at a company called Stimlabs. Catherine received her bachelor's degree from the University of Georgia in both psychology and business and has, over the last seven years or so, built a successful career in recruitment, first working in third-party search, and then most recently for almost the last two years serving, like I said, as the talent acquisition manager for a company called Stimlabs. Prior to launching a career in recruiting, Catherine spent time working in both sales leadership and marketing leadership uh, roles across industries. And if you haven't yet heard of Stimlabs, the company is on a mission to be the world's most trusted and effective regenerative medicine company. The company's pioneer products are derived from placental tissue, which has actually been explored in the wound care space for over 100 years now due to the inherent uh, characteristics of the tissue. So without further ado, Catherine, welcome to the show. Thanks, Mitch. I appreciate it. I'm looking forward to chatting. Likewise. I appreciate you being here. We're talking about a topic that I think is definitely within both of our wheelhouses, and that is the ins and outs of uh, relationships between talent acquisition pros internally and third-party search professionals like myself. And the reason I wanted to have you on the show is not only uh, because of the respect I have for you as a talent acquisition professional, what you've done with your career to date, but because you have the vantage point of both sides. You've been in our world, you know, third-party headhunting, and now here you are leading a talent acquisition program at uh, Stimlabs. And I recognize that what we're about to talk about today and some of the questions I'm going to ask you are truly going to be opinions of yours and not necessarily Stimlabs itself, but I'm excited to kind of dig in here. And I guess I'm going to throw out this first question. You know, you were working in third-party search for how many years was it? About three and a half, four years? About five and a half years. Five I was half. Uh, at my third-party agency. Yep. Okay. All right. So that's a long time. Uh, when the, you know, they used to say one out of 10 uh, recruiters in the third party world make it. Maybe the numbers are a little bit different. I don't think they're, they're, they're too far off. So the fact that you were in this business for over five years says a lot about your talent and your ability. Why did you decide to hang up the reins and, and move over to the internal side? There is honestly a lot of reasons why I was looking at a big part, and I think we can all understand it. I was looking away, uh, looking for a way to get away from the commission hustle, but I still wanted to be in talent. And another big part of it is being on the agency side. Um, I wasn't able to see the full life cycle have the same impact on an organization um, just because it you know, piecemeal. And then I guess the, the last part of that is that I, when I'm selling a company, I'm going based off of what a hiring manager said, but I didn't get to really live it and breathe it. And as you'll probably, you know, be able to tell and how you probably saw from our initial conversations, you know, everything's right on my face. I, I am who I am. So 
I really need to like believe it and love it if I'm going to try to sell a company. So I think that's been really helpful and really impactful for me. For me, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense, and that's a good perspective because I always see is. In our world, we have the advantage of not being stuck within organization, but getting to see perspective from many. But that's a really good point as far as how you get to go deep and wide and actually embody the organization's culture and really believe in what you're putting out in the marketplace because yep. that's where you work yourself. That makes a lot of sense. And that's what I think, sorry, that's what I think the most important thing for someone going into recruiting, honestly, is I've had people talk to me, different organizations wanting to get into the corporate side. And I say going agency and starting there is one of the best things you can do for your career because you learn how to work the hardest you've ever worked in your life. You get to look at so many different companies and learn the pros and cons. And it's something you can't learn anywhere else other than working that third party, you know, sure. agency life. So today, you know, you and I are going to kind of dig into that uh, relationship piece between headhunters and talent acquisition professionals who are running talent acquisition programs for companies. And I, people can't see this during the audio, but I'm smiling because I can only imagine where this conversation is going. But I'm sure as the manager of talent acquisition right now for STEM Labs, I'm sure you get all walks of life in the recruiting world approaching you wanting to do business. And that's a really I wanna, good description. <laughs> I, I, and I want to talk about that because I'd love, so keep in mind, our audience are med tech leaders and a lot of HR and talent acquisition professionals as well. And they're probably about to feel viscerally what you're about to say. So I want to hear the good, the bad, and the ugly, if you don't mind, as far as, you know, how are you approached? How does it not work? And really, what does work very well? Yeah, that's a great way to describe all of that. And I think everyone can kind of feel it. I think even after, or for the most recent three months, four months, um, eight, you know, third party have been feeling a little bit more of a crunch. Although there was a big hiring ramp up, I was getting less emails bombarded um, for requests. But now that things are slowing down, I'm getting, you know, 10 or 15 a day. There are people who are, you know, doing the good old double dial, which I will always appreciate and following up with an email and a voicemail and everything like that. And as I'm getting the full spectrum, I uh, once had someone uh, walk into the office and say they knew the CEO and try to, you know, get a meeting with him and I uh, just walk their way in and act very confident, which I have a lot of appreciation for because that takes some talent to do. But then it kind of caught us all off guard. And once we kind of put two and two together, it wasn't necessarily the best approach. But I do love gumption from people and, you know, putting themselves out there. So I think some of those things, I get a lot of emails that are just the open-ended ones. Hey, I saw you have a role. Are you hiring? Are you still hiring? Or um, hey, I see you're in the space. Me too. Let's connect. And I think that all of those I've done it. I remember being on the sales side and trying to do sales and trying to do recruiting at my law firm and trying to balance that. So you, it's hard to take the time to do research. But I think just using a little bit of time to really get to know just either something about me or something about the company and find a way to kind of make a connection. And, you know, honestly, especially last year, there were time periods where the amount of hiring I was doing, I couldn't do a lunch. I Definitely with two young kids, I didn't, I couldn't, didn't want to do a dinner with someone. I didn't want to take time outside of personal uh, and going into my personal life. But take something and do that. Maybe it, you see um, some comments on my Glassdoor page for the company and there's some pros or some cons that say, hey, you know, I have someone who's looking for that. Or, hey, I see that you're struggling with this based off of feedback. You know, can I give some suggestion? And I know a lot of people um, will say, you know, as a younger recruiter or someone newer to the faith, what do I do? I don't know enough. I, I'll say the best way to get into my door and ask is 
uh, reach out to me and say, hey, I'm new to the med device. I'm new to this life sciences space. I'd love to take your brain and learn some of the challenges so that way I can be a better recruiter. I'm not looking to partner. I'm just want to talk with someone who's been in the field for a little bit and get, pick your brain. And anyone who's in this space, we all got into recruiting um, because or talent acquisition, even sales, just working with people because we care about people. So asking me for that little favor, um, maybe it's a 15 minute call. It's probably going to end up being 45 because I have a tendency to talk um, and I'd love to connect with people. But reaching out to me and just asking for that, we're much likely, we're much better chance of us building a relationship than trying to throw a candidate over that you know absolutely nothing about the job. That's kind of one of the things that I've seen be more productive and, and work kind of for me. Really interesting. Again, your perspective is interesting because I think in a way this, the, industry of recruiting has been trained uh, or rewarded for exactly what people are frustrated about. It, and let me try to explain. So when you talk about, hey, I'm going to present a candidate, I'm going to show some bullet points about a candidate for an open job. Because that got reinforced that that worked before and they actually did need it. Now they want to do it at scale thinking, okay, well, somebody's going to need this candidate for that type of job. And maybe they are, I don't know if they're struggling. I don't know if they're not. But my way yeah. of showing, not me personally, but the psychology yeah. is my way of showing value is to show up with a candidate. Exactly. And, we're, and it gets tricky in a couple of ways. One, they get a lot of those types of emails. And so it becomes, it feels like it's a bait and switch sometimes. Yeah. And, and two, that's just it is that I think people are, get tired and burnt out that they get, they get optimistic about what they see on their email. They schedule the call. They take the time to talk to the recruiter. And lo and behold, you know what? That candidate's not available for that job because you know, X, Y, and Z. And it's like this, it's an icky feeling. I think it's an icky feeling for talent acquisition. And I think it's an icky feeling for the recruiter because most people want to show up and provide value. Exactly. And I think third-party search are constantly trying to figure out what is of value in this particular moment in time to build a relationship with this person. Is Amen. it showing up with tips, tricks, and strategies on something they may not know? Is it showing up with talent that they can immediately hire? Is it some people think, let me explain about my services. But the problem is everybody says the exact same thing. Yeah. We've got 30 years of combined experience. We know talent not even the NSA is aware of. Uh, <laughs> we're niche experts. I mean, yeah. it's all the same. And so I, I'm really so glad that we're having this conversation. So talk about the flips. Talk about the positive side. What what has been successful with some of the partnerships that you have and why do you think that is? So for me, my style of recruiting is very similar to what I'm expecting for someone when they're approaching me. It's just being absolutely genuine. So that email, and I remember this being on the third party side, that email that was templated by that sales rep that used to work for them. You changed some of the words, you changed the companies. That's not going to work for me. And I remember sending them. So I'm not trying to say that we're not all without fault. You know, we all have the pressure on third party side where you have to deliver and you have to do what the, you know, your manager says or you have to hit certain KPI. So I completely understand. But when I see those messages, to me, it tells me, okay, this was you checking the box to tell your boss you sent the email, you did the call, but not that you actually can deliver for me. So doing something that stands out a little bit more. And it's not to say that some of the partners that I have worked with didn't just hit me at the exact right time and sent me that very failed email. But I just got out of a meeting where they said they were looking for this and I get that. And I know enough about that agency. I was like, okay, let's take the call. But it's, it's that balance between the two. So understanding that maybe saying the biggest thing I guess I could think of is with a job, they, we all do it. We're going to look at the the job posting, think, 
this one stands out. I just filled this one for someone or sustain something around those lines and say, hey, I know that all companies are looking for slightly something different. I'd love to talk with you about this position or I have this candidate. I know it may not be right. This is someone be honest with me and say, I just placed this person, but I had, you know, five more people that were similar to this person with just slightly different nuances. And let me know that it is that not full or it is that position. It is they could fill it, but maybe it's not quite it. But just that genuineness is really what's going to that works for me, at least. I can't say mm-hmm. it's going to work for everyone. And that doesn't mean that if 10 people try to send me that email tomorrow, that that's going to work on me. I'll, I'll probably be have my radar up for a little bit longer on this. But that that genuine connection and taking just a little bit of time to do just a little bit of research is really helpful. Do you? So I think your third party background really helps a lot because you can quickly kind of sniff out some things, even based on the messages that you get. Yeah. Do you feel that the majority of the outreach that you get is fairly similar to one another? I would say most of the messages are about the same. Uh, they're they're slightly nuanced. They use you know they're paraphrasing, but it's a lot of repetitiveness and. I haven't seen some new differentiator. This, you know, people are sending the bit, they record themselves and they're saying a video and they add in my name and, or they try to make it a little bit more personalized. But being in that space, I, I can still sniff out when it's not actually that much effort into doing those things. And I can tell when candidates come across where I know you didn't put that much effort into the search. So yeah. that, that type of balance. And you said something earlier that is really key, although it's not necessarily easy to do it at scale. But if you don't have to do it at scale because your conversion of prospects that you want to talk to is much higher, and that is uh, personalization and really trying to understand something about the business, something, the situation the business is in or that functional area or that person that you're trying to reach. In this case, you know, you as the talent acquisition leader, I think that is key. So obviously you're working on the other side now. You've got these third party agencies who are helping with surges. How do you evaluate uh, the effectiveness of the agencies um, and actually meeting in actually meeting your talent acquisition needs. Yeah. So say they they get through the the gate and I, you know, take a call or do um, a video or ha- meet in person. Say. The biggest thing for me is I'm going to ask them a lot of very direct questions of when was the last time you placed someone in this state or when was the last time you placed for this role? Because everyone claims to be an expert. But that's the the biggest thing that kind of arises. I'd rather you be honest and say, hey, I'm new to this space, but my recruiter has done this. If you're a salesperson or I work with this, but my team is three people. We have some new people, some experts that are going to be working in partnership. And um, because I I had a call, actually, I've had like two or three calls where they're like, yeah, we're experts in the space. And I said, great. What was the last time you filled this? And they said, I've never filled this. And and I even said like in Atlanta and I was so Give those things because then that's going to let me know. I've, you know, I've done it before. So I know that breaking into a new territory and a new area, like say you've been great doing great in New Jersey and the life sciences and you're trying to get to Atlanta. If you haven't tried to tap into this market, it's going to be way, way harder than trying to ask someone to relocate because you know the people there trying to get to know the people here. It doesn't matter where you are, but trying to learn that new territory part. So go in with a little bit of that or say you have someone on the team that has that experience and it's going to help you. I think the big thing that I kind of vet out and just how confident they are, but balancing that, like I, coffee doesn't really work very well. I think for most people, I want to hear what your story is, what your experience is. I kind of share that with me. Yeah. We have a guide uh, that we've put together. It's called the top 10 questions your RAQA recruiter doesn't want you to ask. And one of the 
number one questions is how many searches in this particular space, you know, and you can get as finite as you want, have you filled? And you either have the answer or you don't have the answer. And if you do have the answer, you have data to show it. But yeah, absolutely. So I love the fact that you, so you use certain criteria, obviously, right up front to vet out, are these people legit? And if they are, great, let's move to the next step. If they're not, please, please, for the love, I have too much on my plate, don't waste more of my time, right? Yes, I hate to say it that way, but yes, that that is exactly it. I think one of the pieces of advice I guess I can give, because I know that this worked really well when I was in third party, is the sales professionals might be somewhat of an expert, but they're not the ones actively recruiting on it. They don't know, you know, the current trend. Even if you stay on, you know, touch with your recruiter, you're talking on daily basis, there's little things. Bringing the recruiter to the call or bringing them the expert is going to help by so much because they're, you know, I hate when people um, over-promise and under-deliver. I'm a big believer in under-promising and the way over-deliver. And I think bringing a recruiter that can set that expectation, whether you're selling, you know, people for recruiting aspect or you're selling a IT ERP implementation, you know, bring the person who actually knows what it's going to be rather than sell the moon. I think one of the questions that uh, folks listening to this probably want to know is how do you keep up with the the influx of people reaching out to try and do business with you. Do you hit delete very quickly? Do you have a certain folder? What are you doing to try and manage your own workload and also be cognizant that maybe there's some things I don't want to delete because maybe we actually need these people's help? So if someone says something that might call out to me, something that seems that I know right now I don't have approval to work with agency, I do have a folder on my inbox. It, I think it's literally called recruiting agencies. And I, everyone that we partner with, their member partnership has their own folder, but then the ones on the top are ones where, hey, you know, they stood out, they seem genuine, or they have something that kind of checked my box. I just can't work with them now. And I'll go back to that if I get to the point where where I need to partner with an agency to assist with a role. But I'll be honest, I am kind of quick to the trigger. If anything seems super templated or there is no effort put into the message or research onto you know what we might have open, that's more likely where I'm just going to be hitting delete or, or you know, voicemail, LinkedIn, anything like that. Yeah. It's always tough because from my vantage point, when a a company has an opening, that's usually when they get the most craziness happening with agencies trying to get that opening. And then before you know it, everybody sounds the exact same way. And it's usually the agencies who are trying to build value, maybe not necessarily when there is an opening, but build value about how they can help for a rainy day that can sometimes stick out more, I feel like. Do Do you agree or do you disagree? I would completely agree with that. I, a lot more firms, or not firms, but companies these days, their outside agency recruiting budget is tight right now. So I don't want to waste that budget on a company that's not going to help or earmark it for a company that's not genuine or can't help. And maybe you'll be helping me right now, but it's unlikely that I'm going to partner with you again. And then in the long run, maybe you made your fee right there, but the investment that you made on me being a new customer is probably not going to be a good equation. And and to be honest, sometimes that is why I, I delete pretty quickly is I know that I'm not going to be that big revenue bot for you because I do, you know, we use very few agencies throughout the year where I, you know, I've, you know, at one point I've partnered with my old company, I've partnered with others and I'll, you know, name companies. I was like, I will never be this company for you. I know they, you know, they're using 20, 40 roles. I'm going to have very few, but if you're looking for a partner, that's always going to put you first and all those things. Like I sometimes I feel like I sell the ones that I really like that. Because mm-hmm. I want them to keep me in mind and I'll follow up with them. And I don't forget those ones that, you know, went out on the limb or really worked hard to find me that candidate. I'm going to go back to them. 
I love that you said that because it really truly is a two-way street. You know, the, the majority of this conversation so far has been like, okay, you know, how does the inside vet the outside? But the outside really does have a lot of leverage too, because if they're a really good partner and they can deliver yep. and you're not treating them well, why would they want to stick around versus going to find an organization that does treat them well? So if you're listening to this, remember that it's really important to value uh, your partnerships from an agency perspective too, because you just never know how you're going to truly need them one day. Exactly. I It pains me when I can't get feedback to agencies, especially a great partner within 24 to 48 hours. I think the one that reach out to me and they set realistic expectations with me about what they're looking for as a partnership. They, hey, I just want to be honest. I can't get my recruiters to work on this unless X, Y, and Z happen. And I can be honest with them and say, hey, I'm not going to be able to do that. And they say, maybe this isn't the right time to partner. That's not the right team to partner because they have to, you know, help their team be successful too. And that's what I want. I want every, you know, third party, every recruiter to You'd be able to buy whatever car they want or, you know, go out whenever they want, do what they need to uh, pay their bills, but have that life. And I know that a lot of times with certain roles, I'm not going to be that partner for them. So I'd rather have that open, honest conversation from the beginning because they should. It's a lot of time. I, I know that there are ones that are easy, though sometimes you just luck into it. But there's other ones where you're spending hundreds of hours and it, that's hard to try not to force yourself into that when I, I know that I'm not going to be able to make you the money you need to to even that out. Well, and that's, a, yeah, I mean, that's a whole nother conversation where yeah. to be, if you're sending an agency down a road because you really want their help and then you pull the wreck from them or you say, oh no, just kidding. It's like, that was somebody's family just now for the last 60 hours that you just put in jeopardy because you asked them to go do the work and in good faith, they asked, you know, trusted what you're saying. But like I yeah. said, a whole nother conversation, but yeah. with all this, <laughs> You know, it's a crazy world and the agency world is crazy. Talent acquisition is crazy. What motivates you to be to be on the inside working in TA? So honestly, it's the, the bleeding heart that I think a lot of us all got into when we started here. I love making, so let me take a step back. I'm an introverted heart. I am, you know, reserved. I have my moments, but there's something about getting to know people and doing this recruiting that just live, you know, makes my life better. I love getting to meet people, trying to find positions and be on the corporate side. I've been able to really talk to people and be like, hey, this is the, this is a culture fit. They are going to go above and beyond. They are meant to be working at a startup. I don't have the opening right now, but I can go talk to that hiring manager and say, hey, this is someone we have to remember and have on a conversation with them. Right now, like, you know, we don't have the budget or not that role open, but when that becomes available, I'm going to think of you. And I've been able to do that a few times. And that is the best feeling I've ever had. And getting to be super genuine about how much passionate I am about working here and the positive things that have happened for me and meaning every word of it, I think is the best part of getting to do what I do and see people make the salary where they're supposed to because their last company did not even get close to what market should be or had a you know, bad manager. We've all been there. We've all had good or yep. bad managers, but it's it's great to be able to do that and help people find their their home, their career, their professional lives. Well, and what's awesome about your background and being in third party world, too, is, yes, you have an obligation to try and to manage dollars where you can on behalf of the organization and pay people competitively, but not give away the farm. And, you know, I'm in protection of the company. But you also have that headhunting mindset of how to negotiate a really fair deal. And yeah. I think that probably comes into play when you're bringing people in there and what I also loved is it sounds like you really have found a home where you believe passionately about what the organization is doing and can every day yeah. wake up, look somebody in the eye and feel good about the company that you are trying to bring somebody into and really go deep 
instead of, you know, sometimes when you're spread across many, many companies, it's hard to go deep and you have that opportunity. Exactly. I think that's a great way to describe that. And I feel very fortunate for that aspect. That's awesome. So I want to ask you, I want to ask you one more question about partnerships with agencies. You know, fast forward to the ones that are doing a good job for you and you, you maintain a regular uh, relationship. How do you measure the overarching success on a, an ongoing basis? And what can people maybe take away from you as far as how to maybe manage their roster of agencies? So I think it's a couple different factors. I'm going to be doing the same thing that I know third parties are doing, mainly because that's how I was taught to recruit. And from that mindset, that CRM system, the one in, one out sort of thing. But if you're sending me 20 candidates and only one of them was a good fit, I'm going to think about that. What did that cost? for me to review all those candidates or get the hiring manager to review it. It's not buying that credit. So that's a, a big one for me is how, what is that ratio? And I had completely understand because I remember being in the shoes of sometimes that ratio is going to be pretty high, but it's because, you know, we were trying to get the culture fit or we were trying the role a chain halfway through, or we decided to be a little bit more lenient on something that we were thought we were going to be strict. You know, things can change. So I, I do that. And it's really going to be the ones that are very open in communication um, with me and kind of sharing where the candidates are, where are they throughout the process. Someone who's working to make my life easier is the best partner that possibly can. Sending me that spreadsheet of, hey, here are the candidates we've sent over. This is where I have them, Mark. Is that what you have them kind of in your system? Are we at the same spot? Have things progressed? I think those are the great partners, the ones that try to think about my perspective and what can make my life easier? Because if not, then I might as well be doing the recruiting myself. And I've fortunately been able to work with a lot of great partners or ones that I, if I give that advice, they take it and they run with it. That's awesome. And I think that that hits the nail on the head is a, a true a best in class service provider makes their client or their you know partner or whatever lives easier. And think about any business. A realtor should make your life easier when you're looking for a house. A banker, yep. and I mean, an accountant, and the list goes on. So if you can really put yourself in the shoes of who you're trying to serve, right? And think about where are their pains and okay. do your best to kind of remove those roadblocks. Obviously, that goes a long way. And, and clearly, you've stated it does for you. Okay, I like, yeah. I've got one more question. That's okay. I love it. We are in a weird, weird market. Look, this is my 15th year in recruiting. And I don't know a time where there was a market that had such opposite extremes happening at the exact same time, where some companies really are in crunch down mode and they're laying off and they're trying to figure out how to make their numbers. And then you've got these other companies who can't hire fast enough, all in the exact same time in the yep. exact same market. And so people ask me all the time, what's the status of the market? I say, my guess is as good as yours because one day I think I know and the next day it changes. The bottom line though is that there is still a demand for talent regardless of the macro economy in our space, in med tech, especially yeah. the more technical you get, there's huge demand. What are yep. you doing uh, these days that's working well as far as building your own talent pipelines and attracting high caliber talent to STEM labs? So I think having an organization that has such a positive mission, and that's not anything that I'm doing, that's just the company as a whole. I think that's made my life and as a recruiter so much easier. I don't have to do too much to attract the talent if I'm being completely candid because they're on most Three month spectrum when I'm looking at my system, how many people have applied? We're getting over 2000 applications in a three month span. So my job is more so I don't have as much time to store as I possibly could. So it's kind of doing that. So what I have to do is during that initial recruiting call, which I do with almost every candidate, I have the initial, you know, HR phone screen, the conversation. I'm letting them know 
what I'm looking for in a person. And that's not always just in skill. A lot of time, it's not just on what the skill is and what we can do for them. And it's not going to be the benefits or the free food delivery, which I'm, you know, I love having. I'm not going to complain about that by any means, but it's about the, when I, you know, for me, it's when I wake up, do I want to go to work? Am I passionate? And do I want to see the people? We spend more time with our coworkers than our families in a lot of cases. And when I wake up every morning, I would rather go into the office and be around the team members than work remote. And that's how I knew, like, it was a weird little light bulb moment. Like, that's how I knew it was me passionate. And being that genuine self with talent and getting to speak with these amazing individuals that I get to recruit every single day, I think really resonate with people. And doing video interviews, which I know from a candidate's perspective, it's not always the best because you have to find a spot to do it, but it lets you read my face and I'm an awful liar. So it lets them kind of read that and you know, kind of see who I am. And I think that's a big part of what it, what it is to work here and help me distinguish who we are. And one of the other things that I do, which I think really helps as a small just recruiting tip is I walk the candidate through every single time what we're going to talk about, the cadence, and again, get their agreement that that's an, a comfortable way to flow. Because I think some people get so anxious right before the interview that they're like, what are they going to say that I say, hey, you're interviewing me just as much as I'm interviewing you. Here's what I'm thinking for our workflow, 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 whatever I'm trying to say for our conversation. Does this work for you? And I think that brings a lot of ease and let them know that it's okay that they're uncomfortable because we're mm-hmm. all uncomfortable. We can get mm-hmm. through it. I think that helps because it shows that genuine connection again. Right on. Going back to what you said about the the flux, influx of uh, applications that your guys are getting, you said, I think you said 2,000 in the span of three months or so. As you comb through that, you really have found qualified folks in that pool of applications? I, coming from third party, I never thought that that's how I would find most of the people that come and work at the company because applications from where I was coming from, at least, were some of the worst ones that are tossed over. And I would say it's still about a, anywhere between like a 40 or 50%, like these people could actually be a good fit. But even with that number of applications, like that bill, you know, a thousand people that I genuinely want to interview, the number of interviews that I'm getting to do here is for an introvert, extremely tiring by the end of the day, but I wouldn't change it for anything because I set, I do honestly threat that my threshold a little bit lower for candidates because I, some people just aren't good at writing resumes. So I'd rather interview, you know, five extra people that someone can tell me something that they didn't think to put on a resume because, you know, no one, unless you're a resume writer, we don't know how to write, you know, I'm even in myself as a recruiter, I'm awful at selling myself on a resume. I have someone else who helps me that knows me better and has helped me in my past careers. And that's, that's how I've done it. So. All right. So because with that amount of applications, is that through job boards and LinkedIn and your own website is, is spread across? Yeah. Like, what do you think is your main track, like driving so much traffic for you guys? Honestly, most of our applications come from Indeed, which candidly, I never th- thought was that good, not that bad of a source. I don't mean to speak poorly, but it, you know, it's a lot easier way of application. But through that, I do add a slight barrier as we do those application questions, which with our ATF, we're able to build in. They're quick yes, no, but it lets people, I think, see a better, hey, you know, do you have experience with XYZ? And if their answer is no, they probably know that this isn't going to be the right fit for them because I don't put too many and that's how I quickly am able to go through the three questions a little bit faster. Cool. Yeah. Well, listen, I really appreciate you being here, Catherine. It's, it's awesome getting your perspective, you know, having been in the third party world and now on the inside. If it's okay with you, what we'll do is we'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile and a link to Stim Labs on uh, the show notes. 
That would be great. And I'm happy to answer any questions for people about us or just the industry and kind of help them. And I'm, I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me too and pick my brain and I get to learn a little bit from you too. Right on. It's my pleasure. Thanks, Catherine. Of course. Thanks for listening to the MedTech Talent Lab podcast. For more content-rich episodes, log on to theanthonymichaelgroup.com or subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform.